Welcome to Ghost Man Radio Station, and tonight my guest is Mark Reddell. Who is Mark Reddell? He's published a new sci-fi ebook, which is called Age Decoded. What would you do go wrong if, for the advent of CRISPR in genetic engineering, a new future society gives CRISPR to stop human aging, but it's secretly used for other purposes, which threaten humanity? A great read for those into science, politics. Aging, dystopia, immortality, and ethics. And he's here today to talk a little bit about himself and obviously his new book. So, Mark, tell me a little bit about who you are first before we get into your book. Sure. Thanks, Mark. And by the way, have, thanks for having me on your show. It's a it's a humble experience and a and a pleasure. Um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, I've just retired from uh, a very satisfying career of teaching. I taught uh, college and high school, and uh, my my topic, uh, my specialty of teaching was economics and some math. And uh, I was also very involved with coaching uh, in high school, uh, so I coached primarily um, cross country running and track and field. The cross country running was my primary love uh, coaching. So that's a little bit about me, what I've done the last thirty years or so, anyway. And also, uh, what inspired you to write your book? Because obviously, you, you must have woke up one day going, "Aha! What can I write a book about?" Yeah, I well, I also am an athlete, so I I, I compete in triathlons, um, and I got into this late in my life, really only the last seven or eight years, and uh, so it's all age competition. I'm not competing against the young bucks, like twenty five year olds professionals, but I compete against some very serious athletes. Uh, I'm in the sixty to sixty five-year-old age group, um, and these fellows are very uh, proficient athletes, and they've been doing it for years, biking, swimming, and running. So I was always interested in sort of trying to maintain peak performance and what happens as you age. And it's really interesting, Mark, as, as in the age category that I'm in, 60 to 65, the 64-year-olds feel like the 61-year-olds have a huge advantage. Like they can actually sense the difference of that three years. Uh, and uh, so I thought, well, I'd like to look into aging and performance and physiology and that. So I um, started researching um, the concept of human aging. And I found out that there's a lot of uh, research on uh, on stopping aging. And, uh, and, and there, some people view aging as a disease. I don't necessarily think of it as that. I think it's a natural process. But some, some scientists and others think aging is a disease and it must be cured. So um, uh, I started about 10 years ago researching writing about that and I put it into a book and uh, so the book is basically about um, using genetic engineering to uh, stop aging but also using it for some other things which I don't want to give too much away but um, there's many possible applications for uh, CRISPR type genetic engineering. So that's that's how, how I sort of hooked into writing a book on this. Do you think as humans we're already genetically in, uh, engineering faster anyway? Because girls are developing quicker at, at age of 10 to 11. They're nearly becoming full mature adults. Most boys now are over an average height of six foot. Yeah, they, I agree. A lot of that might be environmental, though. 
but yes, we have been slowly evolving. You know, whether people believe in God or not, or natural selection, our genetic pool has been slowly evolving. But it's been very slow. I think some of those things you mentioned may be more environmental, like dietary and, uh, and other uh, health science factors, environmental, that are causing some of those things. Um, so, and not much can happen through evolution in a hundred years. Not much can happen at all. So, for example, life expectancy has gone way up in the last hundred years, but that can't be because of evolution. It's got to be because of environmental. And the really neat thing about my book is um, I look at changing human nature, not nurture. But what we're talking about with healthcare and whatnot is, is, is nurture, which humans have spent a lot of time uh, on uh, medicine, exercise, diet, um, social services, helping other humans uh, become bigger, stronger, older, uh, healthier. All that is changing nurture. That's nurture, which is great. We haven't done a perfect job on it, but we've done okay as a, as a world, as humanity. But this other, my book is crossing into a completely separate area, which is literally changing human nature and doing it very quickly, not waiting for evolution. So literally changing the nature of what it means to be human. Uh, and that's, that's why I think this is such a fascinating topic. I, I, it's, nothing, it's not as if um, us as humans haven't tried to do this before. Hitler was well known for trying to do this. Yeah. Although there's people yeah. before Hitler. I know there was people in history before Hitler, but if people look at it, they, they often say, oh, he wanted to build this super Aryan race. And people go, how could that happen? If it actually, he wasn't the only one. The, the Russians, yeah, are, the Russians exactly. are looking into it. No, the Americans are looking into it. And select and yeah. Yeah. designer babies and all of that. And we, we have done it with other species, obviously, with uh, food, like corn and whatnot, and with uh, racing horses and crops and um, dogs and cows. And we've done all of that. And, and that's been, yeah, that's right. That's, uh, but yeah, and the, the idea of doing it with humans has been looked at in the past uh, and, and th that that's would be one of the huge moral issues if we do start doing it with humans what criteria do we use like what should we be allowed what should we be spending money on and what what should we be supporting in the healthcare system what kind of things can we agree upon should be should be fair for changing human nature like for example should we stop um huntington's disease or cystic fibrosis most people would probably say yeah you know give it a go we wouldn't have too much moral opposition to that but a lot of people would say yeah but maybe we shouldn't do things like make people faster so they can be great athletes uh you know or, or give them blue eyes because we think blue eyes are good or make them more creative or intelligent i mean we can find ways to do that like that's that gets a little iffier and there's a lot of debate around stuff like that and then you then you get into other areas that are very iffy like should you be tinkering with um well, I mean, you could even have potential bioterrorism and people tinkering with viruses like making the COVID virus a hundred times more potent and then unleashing it on society. We, had, we didn't control the COVID very well, so how are we, like, I worry about stuff like that, you know. So, you know, there's, um, there's so many levels of looking at this, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, Hitler tried it. And it's good. Stuff like that is going to happen. Oh, yeah, I, I don't disbelieve it's not happening without our knowledge. I seriously believe when sometimes they come up with um, 
new ways of doing things, and you're thinking, what the hell did they came up with that so quickly? Or how they did that so brilliantly? And then they're thinking, oh, I wonder if they got these human, like, um, clones somewhere in a laboratory that they haven't told you about, that they experiment on. I mean, we don't know. I mean, I know some people are going to say, that's a mad theory, Mark. How do you, it's a complete conspiracy theory. But I think. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, you're right. It could, there, there's going to be some conspiracy theory elements to this, some uncontrollable things, things happening behind the scenes. I could, you know, just for example, in steroids, the, the world has said you can't use steroids for sports. But all sorts of doctors and athletes have collaborated to, to try to use them and, and in sports, the World Anti-Doping Agency can say what they want. They can say, no, you can't do it. But people will try things, and whether it's corporations, individuals, richer people who have the resources, or scientists who want to do breakthrough stuff, we, we may not know uh, or be able to control all of this. And I think, it, I mean, it's obvious. If someone come along to you, they, they said to you, Mark, I've got this super magic drug. That will make you genetically faster for your your uh, training, and you think, well, if I wanted to be a top athlete to compete with the top athletes, there is natural talent, but there's not so much of it around as people think there is. I mean, a lot of it's hard work as well. Yes, but, but, absolutely. I mean, but there are going to be people thinking, oh, well, I'll cheat. I don't want to do all this hard work. Yeah, yeah, it's. It's going to be really exciting. I, mean, I don't want to be in my book. My book's a little dystopian, and but the, the ending isn't so bad. So if people make it through the end, uh, there'll be some some pleasant surprises. But um, it's uh, it's going to be quite a ride, and I think we're just at the edge of a tsunami that's going to happen. But I don't want to be too negative. There's going to be all sorts of positive things that'll happen. Uh, I did mention cystic fibrosis, the genetic um, basis of that is fairly simple compared to a lot of other. Um, um, I would say maladies or diseases. So uh, apparently, it's just literally this position of two nucleotides on the DNA on one gene. So the the uh, C and the G nucleotides are just if you can just flip them back from CG to GC, you can solve that fairly easy with CRISPR genetic engineering. So there's lots of hope on a lot of ailments and um, treatments for people. Um, uh, sickle cell anemia is a similar thing where they can um, take literally take blood out of people then uh, sort of operate genetically on that blood. They've already done it in the United States. Change the genetic code of the blood and then reinfuse it into the uh, human and then they don't have that, that horrible disease anymore and um, there's all sorts of things that are going to be uh, in the next literally 5, 10, 20 years we'll be able to uh, alleviate if not eliminate um, so there's a lot of good news on well, this, but um, I think one thing that COVID has taught us, and I think it's a good thing, that the scientists can all club together when they need to, when they need, they all need to, because um, normally I know people criticise why it's so fast, it, but normally two scientists sitting in a little room for five or six years just studying it, when you've got a thousand plus scientists all over the world studying the whole same thing, suddenly they can bounce off ideas. They want yes. to say, try that one. Did that work? Yeah, I'll try that. Yeah, that worked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, um, there's another book I, I 
if you don't mind me mentioning it's from another Canadian, it's nonfiction. There's a lot of nonfiction out on this right now. And it's by Francois Bailey's professor out in um, Dalhousie University of Halifax on the East Coast of Canada. And she, she talks a lot about those ethical, um, social, moral issues and how we can possibly keep the scientists moving in the right direction, doing good things and, uh, and also trying to get like consensus through not just science, you don't want just scientists and politicians deciding, you want a broader consensus of uh, all stakeholders in society getting involved. So she, she, it's a great book, just came out at Harvard University Press called uh, Altered Inheritance. So I've read her book and uh, she's all over this. She's done a great job looking at the uh, moral issues. And in my book, which is my book's fiction, uh, my main character sort of reminds me of her because my main character is a female scientist, um, Dr. Frida Sengmuller, who wins a Nobel Prize in 2054, year 2054, and is really concerned about the moral ethical issues. Uh, even though she invents the way to stop aging using genetic engineering, she's, she has a real moral side to her and thoughtful um, side that um, is uh, very important in, in my book too. Obviously, um, could you give us like, um, I pre-asked you this, if you could give us like an example from your book so people can get the idea of the, what they could expect from your book. It's all like uh, an insight, as they say. I've got a, a few excerpts uh, that I could read uh, from, from different characters. So maybe I'll give a couple, throw a couple out here. Um, one, I mentioned already that scientist Dr. Frida Sengener, well, she has a, a daughter. Now, Dr. Sengener, um, the government fakes her suicide because she's providing all this moral resistance, so they really just want to eliminate her, so they fake her suicide and, and trap her and bring her underground for two centuries. And her daughter thinks that her mother has killed herself, but uh, and her daughter is just, you know, just feels totally abandoned and... and, and in despair and so and her father had left her because of the whole thing so she's lost her mother she thinks even though her mother's really underground and she's lost her father who left and so she uh her daughter her name's simena is um is trying to survive um and and also lives in a world now where there are very few young people anymore because everybody's just 25 years old. Um, they've even discovered reverse aging. So older people are coming back to become younger. So you don't have a lot of older people. You don't have any, many people being born anymore. So she's sort of, she herself is 25 years old. She's age decoded. So she's not getting any older. She's lost both her parents. And I'm going to just quote from Zymana. Uh, Zymana has a, um, uh, like a psychological condition, sort of an adaptation to all this. And she, she gnaws at her hand, almost like somebody would be self-cutting. You know, it's just, it's, it's a thing that she does on her own. It's in, um, even though she's a beautiful person, she has, she's um, trying to adjust everything horrible that's happened to her. So here's Zymana talking to herself. She says, here I sit gnawing path pathetically, a sliver of one generation. I'm isolated, infertile, unable to relate or reach out. I'm stuck in one egotistical dimension, alone. What's it like to nurture a baby, to bring up a child, to see it walk and talk for the very first time? What's it like to listen to a son or a daughter tell stories about school, 
friendships and to grow old, witnessing them mature into adults, into companions and characters. What's it like to fully experience the cycle of human life with loved ones? I'll never know the joy of being a real mother like women were in the old days. If I did come to know it, it would be in some artificial way, not naturally. So that's Simena, one of my younger characters. Quite a powerful uh, explanation there. I, I could feel the emotion even in the, in that quote. I think it's a very powerful uh, bit. Thank you. And, you know, I, I, just uh, on the topic, a lot of people ask me, well, why did you write a book on, you're not a genetic engineer, why are you writing on this? I said, well, you know, doing fiction is great because you can really get people to imagine and feel the effects of this potential future world. And uh, I think that, that was the fun part for me, trying to create characters and put them in that world and then have them really deal with things deep inside. And um, yeah, so um, Simon is one of the characters. I guess another one I could read it would be, um, it's, uh, I guess you're in the UK there, right? So soccer is a big thing. So I have actually a soccer scene. I thought maybe you'd like this one. Um, there's a soccer pit. You call it the pitch, right? Yeah. Over here in Canada, we call it the field. So but, uh, so it's a soccer pitch. Could I read this one? Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, so this one is a symbolic. Um, it's, it's symbolic because the kid, there's, there are a few kids playing, still playing soccer, and but they're very special. Having kids play soccer is like a very rare event. So people pay, older people or middle-aged people or whoever, adults, pay to watch these kids play. play and they sort of adopt a kid for the, for the game so they can pretend they have a child and cheer for them. So they pay for that right, right, the right to be a sort of pseudo parent for, uh, for an hour. And um, during the game, uh, it's on a pitch, but alongside the pitch, there's a fence. And on the very other side of the fence, there's an old graveyard with hundreds of stones, okay? So you have to picture that scene. And um, this is the narrator now talking about <clears throat> that uh, soccer game. During the game, those old gravestones stood as one in the background, not in opposition to the youthful game in the foreground, but as a subconscious set of spirits gathered to follow a beautiful game, to worship the litheness and exuberance of the playing children, and to earn some respect in return. That respect came in the form of furtive glances from the young girls and boys in the direction of the stones, as if to say, we know you're there, we can see you when we want to. That we very much know what you're all about. At this boundary between the cemetery and the soccer pitch, the old and the young, the two forlorn lost groups of zone one, whispered unified statements and made mutual offerings. So that's uh, sort of, again, portraying a world where the young and the old are, are almost completely eliminated and also intergenerations are almost eliminated too. So that would probably happen if we stop and reverse aging. Yeah, I think it would be a very scary world if we did. Uh, because I, I think with age comes experience. 
And although we would love our youth back, I think everybody would love their youth back in, in theory. We'd all like to go backwards. But then we think, if you really think about it, you think how great your youth was. It wasn't that great. It was all sort of acne and angst and shyness. And I might be speaking from personal point of view, but you know what I mean? Exactly. Um, yeah, can you hear, still hear me there, Mark? Yeah, 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 no problem. I agree. Um, and, you know, for example, myself, I often think as I wrote this, would I, if they offered me immortality, in my book they offer it to everybody, it's publicly available, 30-minute um, procedure, no cost. Um, genetic engineering solved it, and you can, t you can have it if you want. So most people go for it. Um, even older people who are, like there's one character in my book, his name's Jesus uh, Sangler, that he's the grandfather of the same two ladies I mentioned before. And he, um, he, he, um, he's 78 years old, and he goes for it. He locks into the age of 78. Now, later on, he's able to reverse his age, but for 200 years, he's locked in at 78. He's very frail, and he doesn't really much enjoy that. He says, I'm at the precipice of death, basically. I'm stuck here. And I, you know, and he's lost a lot of his faculties in that day. But he's a very thoughtful person. And uh, Jesus, uh, in, uh, in, I've got a quote from him where he, he talks about time, like, uh, you know, like I, I ask myself, if I were given all this time, would, would I use it well? What would, what, would I even have written my book on this if I knew I had, you know, a thousand, two thousand more years to live? Would I have rushed it? No, probably I wouldn't have originally tried to research and put it out. I don't know. I'm not sure what, what would happen to people's psychology, right? So he, uh, he says here, um, this is Jesus, uh, the older man speaking. Uh, he says, humans with so much time naturally avail themselves of it inefficiently. Anonymous, he's now quoting Anonymous. Anonymous once said, the thief to be most wary of is the one who steals your time. But with this age decoding technology, I believe it's the opposite. I think the thief to be wary of is the one who lends you too much time. They steal your humanity. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That, that is very true. I mean, you think about it. We, we, we're all fascinated. I'm, I'm going to bring in the vampire legend because it's appropriate. We all like the legend of vampires where they live forever. But if, if, if you thought about it, the real, when you look at how sad their life is, because all they see is all their loved ones, if they was to have loved ones, uh, would continuously die. You know, they, yes. they, unless they make them as themselves, they would no longer, you know, be that person, would they? Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, you know, the reason I did this, okay, the aging thing, was because of my interest in athletics. But in the, from, from what I understand, any physical or psychological trait is fair game here. So anything that has a genetic basis, like we all know that intelligence and creativity and things like those have genetic basis. People are, you know, some people are just God-given gift on those fronts. And... Uh, Inherently, they're they're 
very talented and, and, and others have, have to work out more, but we all, you know, it's, there, there is a huge genetic basis to all of these things, whether they're physical or psychological. In my, in my book, Age Decoded, I wanted to put in one physical thing, that was the aging, stop aging. But I also put in one psychological thing. I, I almost ignored everything else because I didn't want to overcomplicate. I just put in one of each. So the psychological one, I don't want to give away too, too much. No, 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 don't give too much away because always people won't go out and buy the book. <laughs> yeah, but it's, uh, it's something where when people went in to get age decoded to stop their aging, the government thought this is a great opportunity to tinker a little bit on the psychological side too. So unbeknownst to them, the um, part of their brain was also genetically altered. Um, and this is the cynical side of me. This is the side of me, you know, the bioterrorism side of me saying, you know, where, where I'm saying, you know, look, we've got to watch out because um, if you go right back to, um, uh, say, C.S. Lewis, and other writers, I can I can quote from a lot, a lot of your uh, listeners have probably heard of C.S. Lewis and, uh, and others. He said, um, um, 80 years ago, he wrote that if any one age really attains by eugenics or scientific education the, the power to make its descendants what it pleases, all men who live after it are patients of that power. So he, he, he put it this way, he said, man's power over nature is, is, man, is therefore man's power over other men. So that's the catch. And, and I think we've seen this with any technology, like nuclear technology, and, uh, computer technology. Uh, there's, there's, it's always a double-edged thing. We have to be very careful about uh, just uh, willy-nilly applying it everywhere. And, 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 uh, so uh, nuclear technology is a great example where... Where, uh, you know, had does some great things here in Ontario, where that we seventy percent or sixty seventy percent of our energy comes from nuclear. We're one of the largest nuclear um, jurisdictions in the world. Very green. The rest of it almost is hydroelectric. We have we have no coal generating generating plants and almost no um, carbon footprint on our, our on our um, electricity generation. So nuclear is being great for us. And it's done some wonderful things for the world, but um, it has a it has a nasty side with nuclear warheads, nuclear weapons, nuclear proliferation, and whatnot. And you know, we haven't solved that as a society. We've got it sort of contained right now, but it's um, you know, they just had I think just two or three months ago they had a non-proliferation or so sorry prohibition treaty on nuclear weapons, and fifty-one countries signed it. Uh, which sounds like good news, but um, the none of the nine countries that have nuclear uh, weapons uh, signed it. So, what does it really mean? You know, um, we you know we're not completely out of the woods on this. Um, so, I think you're right. I think any new technology, we've got to be careful. And um, this is a huge breakthrough technology. I think genetic engineering. Did you go through sub self publishing, or did you go through a uh a recognized uh, publishing firm. Yeah, I, I tried the recognized route about 10 years ago. And I think I was lucky in that nobody um, nobody wanted to publish the book. So I'm a first-time author, so that wasn't too surprising. Also, um, uh, back then, genetic engineering wasn't quite the hot topic it is. So I tried, I reached out to New York publishers, um, American, other American and even European publishers didn't really have any positive responses. It actually was 
almost impossible to get anybody to read even one sentence of my book. So I thought, okay, I'm not going to get too juicy. I'll just put it on the back burner. And I think that was serendipity, actually, because um, self-publishing now is much more viable and uh, than it was 10 years ago. And so I didn't even think this time about sending it to anybody. I just put it right out there. I updated it. And it's also serendipity in that genetic engineering has exploded as a topic. Uh, right now, so it's a much hotter topic. So maybe I was lucky that it was not accepted ten years ago. Did you choose the cover from a uh, selected picture because it looks like the uh, uh, genome um, DNA uh, symbol? Yeah, yeah, it's got a little bit of that look, doesn't it? Um, I got that. I could mention Tennis Goddard here in. Um, Hamilton, Ontario, right near Toronto, where I'm at. She designed that, and I said to Tennis, uh, you know, give me, a, give me a, I know you do a great job, but do you think I should have a female scientist on the front? She said, no, I don't think you need an actual picture of a scientist. You just need a sort of an eerie, futuristic thing with a little bit of a hint of uh, genetics on it. It works. So it does she, work, yeah. She's done a very good choice. I think. Yeah, I, I love think, it. I, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. And it's always so, worth mentioning people that help you as well because in the long run they don't always it's like a feel like a film credits they don't always get the mention they deserve you know what i mean so yeah no, yeah so tennis was awesome and uh i think the cover is important and uh um so you know yeah i'm, I'm very thankful and i had i had some other people assisting me along the way i definitely my uh my dear wife lynn was helpful and um, my daughter Stephanie, they were they were both great uh, readers and editors, and I think my wife read the book four times before it got out. And then I had a couple of other science fiction editors who um, who looked at it pretty carefully. Uh, one more from the plot standpoint, plot science fiction, you know, what, what should you do? And he he had some really good suggestions that I followed through with. Um, so when I when I dusted it off and republished it, I I spent about. Oh, I'd say seven or eight months updating it uh, and and uh, listening to these editors and getting feedback from my daughter, my wife, and, um, and getting the cover done. And then I just self-published it uh, about two months ago. And how many times did you have to be up at four o'clock in the morning for you inspiring your ideas to write? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm a bit of a night night owl, so I, I don't mind. I, I think I get my, you know, there's few interruptions at that time, right? So, yeah, I like I that. Saying, that's, uh, a, that's, that's the sort of time I used to write my books, like three, four o'clock in the morning, because it's like, aha, I got an idea. For sure. And your wife's going, then sometimes, come back like, to bed. You've got to come back It's good, yeah. But then sometimes you wake up at noon and say, oh my God, that looks bad when I wrote that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a hangover. I think you have to write the bad stuff. Yeah, yeah, to get the good stuff. I think you you see yeah. it and you think, oh god, I went completely wrong with that plot line. I have to. Yeah, change. it really is a yeah, it really is a process. And I, I this is my first book. Well, like I said, I wrote two of them, but the other one is more of a nonfiction, which I think is more of a natural for me. But the fiction, this is my first crack at fiction, and uh, like just doing dialogue, I found very tricky, and I had to go back look at the other books. How do you do it? Where do you put the punctuation? Where do you do yeah, all this? Also, where better. where where would they, where, which way they would be talking to each other, how they would interact? Because yeah. one yeah. person wouldn't interact with another that way. You know, it's like yeah. a youngster wouldn't talk to an adult in a certain way, and an adult wouldn't talk to a youngster in a certain way, or a man wouldn't talk yeah. to a woman in a certain way. It's all, yeah. all these things. So, I like the fact the book isn't a long book by 
some standards, it's only 303 pages. So it's, it could be read in a, a day, two days, if you put your mind to it, I would have thought. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a wonderful experience, and um, I, I guess I would just encourage any of your listeners, if they have any creative impulses, like whether it's, uh, I also do art, and, uh, you know, just pick up a brush, try doing some art, or try, um, if you want to do some writing or music, um, give it a crack. It's never too late uh, to give it a go, and um, you, you never know what's inherent inside of you, and uh, what message you might uh, send to others, and, uh, you know, you can... You can impact other people. If you have a strong message you want to get out, um, you can do it in a creative way at any time in your life. And, and that's the most important thing, isn't it? Because it, 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 it's if you don't have a go at something, you're always going to regret You're always going to have that stage in life thinking, oh, I wish I broke that book. I wish I sung that song. And it doesn't matter. I mean, at the end of the day, we all want praise. We all want somebody to like us. That's just human beings. Sure. That's just us as human beings. But if you do it for yourself and you love what you've done, you love what you've created, you like you've liked the end result, and you are very happy with what you have done, I think that crosses over eventually the passion that you've written it with and the way you spoke today about the book. It crosses over and then people go, oh, oh, look at that, I'll read it. You know, it might be available on Kindle... Uh, sometimes Kindle does a free version for a little while, doesn't it? You can read it for a little while on free. So you could probably do that for a little while. And also, you, I, I would recommend that you do uh, a book trailer and um, like you did now, just read little snippets so that you can show people what the book's about. It won't, I, I can't guarantee sales. Nothing guarantees sales. But it's a good way of... It's a good anything that helps promote yourself, and yes. um, that and go on all the book sites on Facebook, become a member, and just put your book on it. Yeah, and I, I've started exploring that, and actually doing a podcast or a show like this um, is something I would have never have envisioned doing. I mean, I was a teacher, and I was used to talking to twenty adolescents, but you know, speaking to a wider world and on shows and that, I never thought I would. I'm actually somewhat introverted, and uh, but I've done uh, a number of these podcasts now, and uh, as with yours, they're great shows, and I've met some really fascinating people, and the conversations have been really invigorating. I, you know, it's uh, every podcast is a little different, different slant to it. So, um, some people want to know more about you and how you ever possibly got into writing, and others just want to talk about the book, the topic of the book, and that's fine. But it's been a fantastic experience. I would have never have imagined this, and it all just came from trying to publish a book, you know. So. It's, 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 and now people know who you are. They go, who's Mark Morindale? Oh, he wrote that book, I HD Coded. And it's as simple as that, you know. Even I mean, I imagine if your pup- ex pupils that know you, they must be thinking, "Oh wow, well, I didn't know Mister uh, Medell wrote a book." Because obviously, they used to call you Mister Medell in class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. Well, actually, interesting. Just late last night, I got a note from a former student who had graduated six years ago. She was the captain of my cross country team because I mentioned I was a coach. Uh, she was, she was. One of the slowest runners I ever coached, had no talent at all, 
but she was had the biggest smile and most enthusiastic person. So I made her captain, and she was fantastic at recruiting runners and so positive, and uh, she great with all the other uh, all their other runners. And so like her name's Maya, and Maya um, just reached out to me last night and said, "Sir, I didn't. I heard you wrote a book and fantastic, and I'd like you to uh, let me know you know a little more about publishing because she's I guess she's thinking of writing something. So." I'm going to try to set up a Zoom call with her and a few of her uh, university friends and just let them give them the inside scoop on self-publishing. And uh, so it's just, yeah, it's funny how one thing just connects with another. Well, yeah, it inspires people because they're thinking, oh, if you can write a book, perhaps I can write a book. And then, yeah. and then like you say, you can say to them, like, oh, put yourself out there a bit because the, the only way really to self-publicize is to be sub your own promoter your own um, everything, you know, you right. organizing the interviews, organizing podcasts, you know, put your name on a, there's loads of things on Facebook where they are always asking for guests. Yes. Put, put your name yes. on there, just say, oh, I'm a new author. I would love to come on your show talking about my great new book. You know, even if you get three, four people reaching out, it always, anything that promotes you is a good thing. Yeah, I agree. So uh, the um, positive leads to positive, you know, and uh, sometimes it doesn't seem positive at the time. Like I said, uh, 10 years ago, I, I was a little dejected. This thing was not accepted by anybody. Nobody would even read it. I didn't, it had no, uh, but you know, it, um, it all worked out and with a little patience and serendipity, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, it's come together. So. Well, I wish you would be success of it. I really do. I, I really think it's got good potential. I mean, I'm not just saying that because you're on the show. I, I do look at books. I mean, sometimes I have to look at it in between and everything else. But I do look at them. I, I have uh, promoted your book on um, free book pub, pub, like, promotion on Facebook. So I, I used to do reviews, but I just publicize the book now because it's easier. Cause then yes, people, thank you. I, I, don't, I used to give the Amazon link, but it's getting harder to do. The Amazon link now because Amazon don't like you sharing it so much now because they got wise to it. Yeah, I I, I will send you. Um, I, I, I don't know if you already have it. Sort of more of a general retailer's link, and it has Amazon and Apple on there. So yeah, in case yeah. any of your readers want to click on it, yeah, yeah. Uh, or their favorite retailer, uh, Indigo, Kobo, Amazon, Apple, and there's some European ones on there too that uh, they can easily. Um, find out a bit more about the book and purchase it if they want. So well, um, I'll send you that if you don't have it. Yeah, that's okay. Well, uh, is there anything else you wish to mention? I've, have you got anything in the future? You said you may have a possible non-fiction book. Possibly. Yeah, I've got, I've got a non-fiction book because my daughter runs and I run and I was sort of coaching her. She ran when she was quite young and is still running. So it's sort of this relationship we built as father-daughter coach athlete but also running together and she got me into the running it's not like i started running and she started following me no it's like she ran started running she was nine or ten years old and i had to go on the streets with her and just make sure you know she's not getting lost out there or whatever she's safe and so i started jogging with her and uh it was an easy jog for me when she was only nine years old but now it's almost impossible for me to keep up with her because she's just so fast and i'm, I'm getting older right so <laughs> it's, it's all it's really switched but anyway that relationship we had for 
10 or 15 years where she went from 10 year old to now almost 25 running at the university level right so i've been i sort of tracked all that and it's 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 a non-fiction but it's very personal about I running. Be a good insight because a lot of people don't understand this relationship that you have to have whether it's your a personal or a, a professional relationship you have to have a very good relationship between the trainer and the trainee because otherwise yes. because obviously you're trying to guide them you're not you you don't want to change what they do because sometimes they may be naturally talented so you don't want to use that right. use natural talent. yeah and i think that's you were you use the word guide i think that's a good way of looking at it because with young athletes you have to be careful not to you know pressure them or injure them or you know make them burn out you've got to make sure they keep their perspective and the my big job with her was to make sure she didn't overdo it, didn't overtrain it, didn't get injured. And that, that, that's a very important thing for young athletes. Well, I'd like to finish the book, this bit with a following which I always ask my guest, Mark. Mark, what is your unique sign-off? What's my, my what? Unique sign-off. Sign-off? Yeah. What, would you be, what words would you like to say? Yeah, um, just to people, to just to people in general, find, and it took me a while, find your genuine self, whatever it is. It took me a while to figure out that I had this sort of artistic side to me. I always thought I was a math science guy and that's it. And um, it took me a while. It took me till I was 30, 40 years old, started teaching and becoming more contact with humans that I discovered that was more the genuine self. That was my genuine me. And it, it, it was a struggle. I had some career changes and whatnot. So anybody out there who um, is maybe struggling with their career or whatever, just be patient. Try to go with your genuine self. And that doesn't necessarily mean what you're best at, but what you feel resonates best with your soul, you know. And then when you get, you'll know when you get there, it might take, some people, they do it right away. Other people can take them a couple of decades, but uh, eventually your genuine self will come through and you'll be able to shine and, uh, and uh, just be patient. That's what I would say to people. And mine to you, Mark, is the following. I talked to Mark Reddale today. He's author of Age Decoded. He said, if you want to know about a near future society that wants to stop a human aging, but secretly has other purposes which may threaten humanity. And then it looks slightly into science, politics, aging, dysphobia, immortality, ethics, which it would do if you think about it, as you see. He used to be an economics and maths teacher, so he knows he's eight, one plus one. He taught in Toronto and Hamilton for over 24 years. He coached hockey cross-country running and field and track, which is a lot to do. His hobbies include running, swimming, biking, golf and snooker. I hope he watches the... I hope he was a fan of Cliff Ogburn, who won the World Championship. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I can recommend a BBC series for you called God's a Snooker. Okay. You yeah, like I'd love that? to watch it. Yeah. When it comes I, out of your side... You should. So, so you do your water, you go see it. And I'd like to say thank you for listening to Mark today. I think he's been very interested to hear about his book. I shall look forward to reading it in the future. I hope that he has a wonderful success for it. And as always, we shall give it a five-star, five-star review. Thank you. Thank Bye. you so much.